Hey, everybody. We're talking to Lindsay Roberts today. What an amazing woman. She's a mental performance coach, talent development professional in the private sector who got her start as a master resilience trainer working with wounded, ill, and injured soldiers. Has some incredible stories about growing teams and leaders. She's a great new friend of mine. You definitely don't want to miss this conversation. Welcome to The Last 10%. Your host, Dallas Burnett, dives into incredible conversations that will inspire you to finish well and finish strong. Listen as guests share their journeys and valuable advice on living in the last 10%. If you are a leader, a coach, a business owner, or someone looking to level up, you are in the right place. Remember, you can give 90% effort and make it a long way, but it's finding out how to unlock the last 10% that makes all the difference in your life, your relationships, and your work. Now, here's Dallas. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I am Dallas Burnett, sitting in my 1905 Coke Brothers barber chair in Thrive Studios. But more importantly today, we have a great guest, Miss Lindsay Roberts, hailing from Kansas, and also a friend of our last guest, Brian Miles. Welcome to the show, Lindsay. Hey, thanks, Dallas. It is great to be on the show with you. And I got to say, you know, following Brian, that's a tough act to follow <laughs> on this thing. But what a great person and what a great show that was. I am excited because he bragged on you so big time at the end of that show. If after that show, when we got off, I was like, I've got to get in touch with Lindsay because if she is like Brian's mentor, she's who he calls when he stops in Kansas, I was like, we got to get her on the show. So, man, I'm so thankful that you could make it. So you've come out in the mineral performance world too. What was the catalyst for you that got you into this industry, this field? Yeah, Dallas, that's a great question. As an athlete, which I'm sure so many of us were, growing up, I was always really a head case in tennis. So my two sports were tennis and swimming. And a tennis match could last 30 minutes. It could last five hours. And I was a huge head case in tennis. I used to have bruises on the back of my shin from hitting my racket against it. And it was just, so I would get so frustrated. But then when it came to swimming, I was a sprinter, freestyle. So you're in and out of the water, like under 30 seconds, under a minute. It's quick in and out. And for some reason, I had it locked down. Like I had the mental game together. No problem in that. And Mm. I always wanted to help people. Right. So like, I feel like anybody who's in this field, you just have this drive, this want to help people, you want to help people do better. And I knew that I wanted to do that in some capacity, but I didn't want to just talk to people about their problems. And Mm. so I learned about sports psychology and just this great field where you help people do even better at the Mm. things that they already do. And there's just something that is amazing about that and so inspiring about that and just continues to push me to give it my all each and every day. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. So let's talk about that because I think that's yeah. fascinating. You've laid something out there between swimming and tennis. Yeah. Tell us the struggle with tennis specifically. Let's talk about that a little bit more because that's, that is interesting that you struggled in tennis, but not in swimming. Why do you think yeah. that was? And did you ever get to a place in tennis where you were like, no, I've got this now. You're like, no, this is what drove me into the field. 
Yeah. It's, so with tennis, there are a few things. So one, my dad was my tennis coach, right? And so oh, that, wow. having a parent as a coach, that Whoa. just adds a level of complexity. My older sister, shout out to her. She is an amazing tennis player, still is to this day, and poured her heart and soul into playing tennis. And I wanted to be as good as her, but wasn't willing mm. to put in the effort. Mm. Mm. <laughs> so it was my so own worst of, enemy. A lot of stress, a yeah. lot of stress oh, there, yeah. yeah. Yeah, okay. for sure. And then going into swimming, it's just completely different because people didn't, my family didn't know about the sport. They, so I didn't feel kind of that external pressure from mm. other folks and what expectations they had of me. So that's one of the biggest difference between the two sports for me. It was set up, the, almost the environment for swimming, the whole thing was yeah. totally different. The sp just yeah. the pressure wasn't there from the start. You just, it yeah. was just, it was your thing. You didn't have, yep. you weren't comparing yourself to a sister, didn't have a parent standing there. Yeah. No, that makes total sense. I get it. I get it. Yeah. All right, and it's well, fascinating because nobody put that pressure on me but myself, right? So mm. I went into a field of trying to help people figure out what do you do with that pressure that you give yourself internally? How do you deal with that stuff? So yeah, that's, that's so really good. what motivated me. That's so good. I've got three daughters and oh, cool. um, two of them right now are in tennis and we are just brand new to the sport. So I'm totally, well, I'm locked in because I yeah. totally understand. I don't understand. I didn't start with tennis. I was a girl soccer coach for all these years. Oh, cool. And so all of a sudden now they're in tennis and yeah. we're full tilt tennis and have been for a couple of years. <laughs> they're enjoying it, but I could totally see how it would be nerve wracking. And I'm glad when I came through, I just played football. I didn't work. I didn't do tennis because that would fill you. It could be, and I still haven't figured it out that they're the, the <laughs> There's a lot to learn. So Dallas, I'm coaching my five-year-old soccer team. So you oh. and I all give you notes on tennis. You give me notes on youth soccer because that is a world I do not know, but I am learning it real quick. Oh, I've got some great, I've got some great stuff. We'll have to, we'll talk after the show because yeah. I've got some yeah. great stuff for you. So that's awesome. Yeah, that we'll compare. So let's talk a little bit about you're in the private sector now and you've been able to transition from the mental performance and the sports side all the way into private sector. Talk about that transition and let's talk through a little bit about what that looks like and how that's different w with where you're at now versus say sports. Yeah. So when I made the transition, so really what motivated me was I've been working with the army for quite some time and I'm just ready for a change. So I'm mm. somebody who just loves to keep learning, loves to keep challenging myself. And if I get to a point where I'm not learning and I'm not feeling amazingly challenged, I'm going to find something new. Mm. And so there's an opportunity to work at an energy company. And I was like, I don't know anything about energy, but I know some things about leaders and leadership development. Mm. And what an interesting opportunity to take this stuff from working with high performers and with athletes in the military and translate that into the corporate environment. And mm. some of the, I think, overall, just in general, right, we're all humans, we all struggle with very similar things, regardless of if we want to admit that or not. And I think <laughs> that a lot of what is translated so well is really like fundamentally communication skills. So mm. leaders, in, whether you're a coach, an athlete, if you're in the military, if you're working in corporate America, like communication is just such a critical skill. And mm. it's not often that we're taught how to do that well. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's mm -hmm. been an easy transition. Another really big trend that we're seeing right now in the leadership development, talent development space is this idea of moving from boss to coach. 
And so as you think about this idea of boss to coach and you're smiling, so you may have some thoughts on this, Dallas, mm-hmm. I can see that grin. So as you think about this idea of boss to coach, really the expectations of employees have changed. And we as leaders have to adapt to what our employees are expecting. And that's a big transition for a lot of folks, especially as I think about my organization right now, we have some brilliant long tenured employees and they aren't used to that kind of thinking and that mentality of being somebody's coach versus just their boss. We're going we're gonna to have some great conversations on this. So let's talk about leadership development first, because I definitely want to dive in on more ideas around that, about communication and things like that. When you focus in, in, in developing a leader, whether they're a new leader or whether they're a seasoned leader that's coming into your organization or has been there for a while, do you have an assessment or a way or what's when you, when you go in to tackle this problem, how do you do that? Sure. And what I'm sharing are just my views from my perspective on these topics we discuss. So when we, whenever I go into work with a new leader or work with a team, I'm all about asking questions. So the best way to learn is to ask people questions and to observe. And the philosophy that I live by as it relates to leadership development is I really believe in this purpose-driven and adaptive style. Because, I mean, as you know, thinking about, you know, getting that last 10%, we have to have that purpose. We have to know what is it I'm trying to achieve? Where is it I'm heading? Like, why am I doing this thing that I'm doing? And when you can combine that stability and sense of direction by knowing your purpose with the adaptability that is required, because things are changing every single day. I think so many times you hear that statement, the only constant is change. Mm -hmm. And if that is just true across the board, and as it relates to leadership, as things are evolving and the workplace has changed so much between the pandemic and the evolution that we're seeing in that. And so that adaptability is incredibly important to navigate that ever-changing landscape. Let's talk about that. We talk how, a lot about a, that with leaders. Yeah, so like when you talk about purpose driven, that resonates a great deal with me because I think so many organizations miss that, and it's like the simple things, the back to the basics. It's that you, it's that you outpunch your coverage. You you just think, hey, we've got this product or service, and you just assume that you just that's what you do, and you hire people and you pay them a wage and you go do it. But if you as a leader, if you can't get that back step back and say how are we integrating purpose into what we do and how are we reminding people all the time about this purpose i feel like there's a loss of energy and inspiration that you miss and i think that translates into engagement like lower levels of engagement do you see that in in the work that you do Oh, absolutely. I think it's very interesting because as I think about working in like the corporate office, a lot of people are fairly well in tune with like how the job ties in with the work. But as you go out and you talk to more of our field employees or some of our our energy plants and where we're generating the energy and the people out fixing the lines, they don't necessarily make that connection. And it's not necessarily a bad thing, but when you think about the work that we have the opportunity to do right at this energy company, we get the opportunity to serve our customers and provide a necessary part of their day-to-day lives. And Mm. when you think about that, like how inspirational is that to get up Mm. and do your job every single day? And so Mm. the more that you can connect people to the purpose, the better people are gonna perform. Like you talked about engagement, people are just gonna be so much more engaged and care about the job that they're doing. Because let's be real, we've all had those jobs where some days it just feels like the same thing over and over again. And relying on that purpose and connecting to that can just completely change our energy and our effort and our attention. 
Mm. I love that. And I love how you tied it to the end. And you said adaptive styles. Tell us how you would coach someone or develop someone to be more, have more of an adaptive style. Yes, that's a tough one because to make a change, you first have to know where you're at. Right. Mm. So anytime mm. you're working with leaders, everything starts with self-awareness mm. and you have to be willing to say that maybe I'm less of a flexible leader and don't feel comfortable with a lot of change or I'm more of a gung ho. You give me a change. I'm going after it. We're going to make this thing happen. Right. Sure. So with any leader, you have to figure out where is it that you fall and mm. then you have to identify like what's holding you back. If you're not really embracing that change and you don't have a lot of that flexibility, the question is why? What's going on for you? What's holding you back? And that can be a lot of things that are getting in your way. It could just be that it feels like more effort, right? And if things feel like it's going to take more effort, I hate to say it, but many of us are naturally lazy. And so more effort means we're just going to go the other way. And so that can be one of those things that holds us back. But anytime where you're working with someone and trying to think about adaptability, you have to start with where are you at today and where is it that you want to be? Another key thing that I think is important with adaptability is just understanding why it's important. Why does adaptability mm. matter? I keep going back to, to my industry because I think it's just such a good example to really challenge these beliefs. Because in the energy industry, you think that's like relatively stable, right? In mm -hmm. energy industry, like you don't hear about it much. The only time you hear from your energy company is if your power's out and you right. want to find out when it's coming back on, right? Like it's not yeah. something that you think about, mm -hmm. but, as, but with adaptability, the the landscape of energy is changing so much right now that mm. innovation and adaptability is critical. And I think that's true across industries and we need mm. to recognize that. I think too, yeah, the speed of change is only yeah. accelerating. And I feel Absolutely. like that there's so much with all the technology coming out and you hear every day about artificial intelligence and machine learning yes. and every, all the impacts that's gonna make. And then other innovations in the field of medicine and you're talking about energy there's just so much innovation. I think you're exactly right. I think if you, and I think there's a piece of that. I think this, it's so funny because you're talking about leaders and you're developing some really high performers, executives in this industry, in this company, and it's just amazing. You're bringing in new leaders and yet the, you go, a lot of us are, we have a struggle with laziness. And so it's not like leaders yeah. have this pass on laziness. Yes. We all have this inertia yes. around feeling uncomfortable, right? We don't yes. want to feel uncomfortable. Yes. We don't Nobody want to grow. To we don't want to Never. Move. Why would we want that? Why would we want that? So yes. we just do our thing and we do it. Yeah. And if it's good, if it's not, it yeah. could be worse, right? And so yeah, uh, exactly. I love you. I think that's something we take for granted, right? This idea of if it's good, like we take that mm. for granted. And the more mm. that we can learn from those experiences, then the better we're going to be in the future. So don't take those good things for granted. <laughs> I love that. I love that. As it relates to leaders and, and development, do you, when you start, do you guys have like your own process that you take people through or is it more of an individual one-on-one -on -one type development process that you tend to go in? Yeah, so we, there are a ton of different things that we do within the organization. When it comes to working with leaders, there are the 360 assessments, right? So getting feedback from everybody, your boss, yourself, people that report to you, your peers. And when it comes to adaptability, that's one of the things that we always look at is how well do you feel this person can adapt to change and adapt to the new things that are coming. So we do a lot of different assessments. We do like the personality assessments, right? So we do a lot with StrengthsFinder through Gallup. We do things with okay. Hogan, a bunch of different assessments. And then throughout the course of the year, we have a ton of different classes people can attend. So when we talk about leadership skills, I think that we can all continue to 
get better at how to have difficult conversations, right? Something that mm. none of us love to do, mm. but it's an important job of a leader to be able to have difficult conversations and to give feedback that's maybe uncomfortable to their employees, right? What's your, what's your go-to? Do you have any tips for, I would say, for giving difficult conversations? If you're a leader, maybe you're leading a new team, somebody's struggling, you've got to have this crucial conversation with them. What's your, what would advice would you give them when they're approaching that? My number one piece of advice is to think about if it were you and you needed to change something to get better, what would you hope others would do for you? Mm. Well, that's a great perspective. Oh, right? I love because that. we got it. We got to give feedback to people and I would much rather get that feedback early so that I can make a change as opposed to getting feedback down the line and having no idea that something was not going well. And so giving, thinking about why that feedback is important, why it matters. And if you have that mindset of the reason I'm giving this difficult feedback or having this difficult conversation is because I want to help this person get better, then the intention is good and it'll make that conversation a lot easier. That's good. That's good. All right. That's good. So you made another comment earlier about taking bosses and turning them into coaches or moving from boss to coach, that shift. And that's a pretty, I, I almost, people don't even understand that sometimes. They don't even, they're like, what, boss to coach? At Think Move Thrive, we're involved in that conversation because we have an app that drive coaching down in the organization because there's an executive coach that can be, you know, at the top, maybe with CEO or CFO, all these guys, but then everybody else in the organization needs that too. And so yeah. this is what we do, but we always refer to leaders as leader coaches and so it's so cool to hear you say we're going to take a boss and turn them into a coach because that's yeah. the exact language that we love to use when we talk about it so tell us about that transformation and that mindset shift because i know there's some things that, that that you've experienced with that yeah so i think from moving from boss to coach it really goes down to what is the expectation of employees that's where all this stuff comes from and when you think about a boss right so boss tells me what to do when to do it by, holds me accountable to that. Um, I show up to work to get my paycheck and then I'm gonna head home, right? Don't mm. necessarily tie in with a purpose or think anything bigger about that. And a boss is really the one to just give the direction. That's how I think of boss, right? When we right. think of a coach and when we think about the changing expectations of our employees, really what employees want now, we talked about that sense of purpose earlier, an employee wants to know that the job that I am doing here matters. Mm. As someone who is more of a coach and a leader, they have that opportunity to remind people to help make that connection for them, see how that stuff ties in, right? So let's talk about motivation. I have that sense of purpose, now yes. I can go and do something with it. Right. So much yes. more inspirational. When you think about this idea of being a coach, I mean, think about the coaches you've had across time. Coaches are really good at giving feedback. Coaches mm. give you just in time feedback. They're mm. willing to have good conversations and bad conversations. They're someone who's willing to help you think about your development and your potential mm. and where is it that you want to go and what is it you want to do. And when you have a coach, you have more frequent conversations too. So it's mm. not just like the once or twice a year that we might be used to when it comes to performance review time. I'm sure many of your listeners can appreciate that. Mm -hmm. But it's not just that once or twice a year, but you have those ongoing conversations that just really help employees to thrive. I think that's so true on so many levels. And I think the mindset shift is it's odd because the employees are already there, yeah. but the institutions and the structure and the history 
that managers and bosses and leaders have experienced in the past and come up in the past is different. And we're more, you know, if we're in a technical field, we may be more process driven. I want to give you an SOP. I want to give you a KPI. (laughs) I want to give you an OKR. Let's talk about all the acronyms and throw them at you. So many options, so many options. Yes. I mean, we got all kinds of ways to hold you accountable and that's, it's okay because accountability is necessary. It's like you said that we are going to hold our teams accountable. And I think that sometimes leaders, and you may have experienced this too, there's almost a fear of a leader to do the things that you're talking about, be inspiring, to to engage in conversations more frequently and get to know a person versus just say, here's the KPI, deliver this. I need this report by Friday because it's more transactional and this is yeah. more, coaches are more transformational. And so have you experienced that as the, kind of the pushback on that at all? Yes, yeah, so there's been pushback. It's interesting because I think sometimes the pushback comes more so from a place of I never experienced this idea of a coach and now I have no idea what it is I'm supposed to do and it's just like any skill right if we're not taught how to do it then it can be a very scary let's talk about that adaptability right moving from boss to coach we have to be adaptable to be willing to take on this new thing and I think that's a lot of the times why there's some of that pushback is it's this unknown and one of the things that people will often kind of question is well but if I have more frequent conversations with my employees and you're telling me to just check in with how they're doing overall, am I going to get into a bunch of things that I really don't want to? And the answer is the employee is going to tell you what they want to tell you and not tell you what they don't want to tell you, right? But at the end of the day, relationships matter. And when we have a strong relationship with our employees, with our leaders, with our peers, then that's what's going to help those KPIs. That's what's going to help us achieve all of the goals that we have to meet our metrics, to make sure that we're achieving the things on our scorecard. Like people, nothing gets done except with, by, through, and for people. And that Mm. coaching mentality really helps to push people forward. I think that's a great point. And I think that it is a very enlightening perspective because what you've described is on one side, you have the employee who may be seeing that manager, that leader, that boss, and saying to themselves, this person's micromanager, or this person's a tyrant, or this person is just giving me stuff all the time, and just there's no relationship there. And yet, when you actually look at it from, I, not everyone, because there are some you know, people that have positions that are taking advantage of people and they don't care. But I think to your point, and I think it's true in a lot of cases, and we've seen it too, is that if you see it from the manager or the leader or the boss's perspective, it's more of they have not been trained in that. If yeah. not, they have yeah. not, they've not been given any kind of tools or resources. And it's very uncomfortable and very exposing. Like, what if I mess this up kind of thing? Yeah. And so yeah. since there's no playbook, then they tend to default to what they know, which is yeah. how they were all told how to do it. And so you, yeah. you have a little bit of grace on both sides, right? You know, if you're experiencing that with a leader, a a team member, to a boss. It's interesting because it's not that everybody's trying to be mean. There's learning that needs to happen. Yeah, yeah. And you don't know what you don't know. And if you don't know something, you can't do anything about it. It's interesting too, because as you're just kind of reflecting on that, it made me think about how for the most, there are exceptions to every rule, but for the most part, no employee shows up to work saying, I want to do a terrible job today, right? (laughs) Most of us show up to work and we go in, we want to do a good job. We want to contribute to the team. We want our group to be successful. We want our organization to be successful, our team, ourselves. And if we think about that, the only way to continue being successful is to provide that ongoing coaching and feedback. 
If people mm. don't know how they're doing, then there's no way they can continue to get better, to reinforce the things that are going well. And so that coaching mentality is just absolutely critical. I love that. So we're going to get into some, we're going to get into some controversial territory. I posted this on LinkedIn. So I said, I hate performance reviews and I just put mm. it out there on LinkedIn, but, but I don't, I do have a problem most of the time with performance reviews, not in, in theory, but in application in the sense that a lot of people haven't been trained on how to give them well. And then it comes out being like very awkward. And maybe if you've gotten, and I've experienced a bunch of performance. Uh, I've given them, I'm, I'm taking right them. now thinking of some oh, rough ones. Skin crawls, but it's like, yes, you know, you get yes. out of this, like, what number are you? One to five. And you're like, yeah. okay, do I oh. communicate this? And then it gets political. And do I put this number down to get a raise? Or what if I don't? And uh, it comes out very tense. And then you come out and you, you, if they tell you something good, you, you're like, thank goodness, but you don't remember anything you need to work on. If you got a raise, if you don't get a raise, you're so mad at it. Then if they told you how to get one, you forgot it because you're just ticked that they didn't give you a raise. So the whole thing comes out and you don't really ever come out with what you actually need, which is increased performance and yes. knowing where you are and where you're going. And so I think that so many times companies miss the boat in how they deliver that because of, you know, multitude of reasons, how it's designed or how they deliver it. What's your experience and what's your thoughts on that? Do you see it the same or do you see it differently? Yeah, controversial topic for sure. I can honestly say, I don't know that I've ever met someone who loves or gets really excited for performance reviews. So I don't think you're alone in that. And I think it goes back to some of the things that we've been talking about, right? So one, performance reviews are tied to salary. And anytime mm. we're talking money with employees, that is a very personal thing. And we mm. may like to think that employees don't talk about like how much of a raise did you get or how much of a bonus did you get? That stuff happens. And so that, that can just create some animosity sometimes or some like, just not really sure how things are going. And it is, it's just, it's a tough time with employees. Mm. So I don't know anybody who particularly loves it. The other interesting thing I think about performance reviews is that when it comes to the employee, our job is to say, what is it that I did really well? And I want to forget about some of the maybe not so great things that happened <laughs> because I don't want those not so great things to overshadow all of these great things that I did, right? Yeah, and so I just think yeah. about the paragraphs that people write, or even I have written about, here are all these wonderful things. But then if you have a leader who does not give good feedback, it just makes the whole thing even more uncomfortable and awkward. And I think yeah. everybody's those conversations yeah check so in the I'm, box I'm you hear aligned. the manager <sighs> you hear the employee go walk away feeling awkward the manager is like checking a box they're like oh my gosh if i have to do this paperwork one more time <laughs> and it's this long form it's taking half my day i could i've got all these other things i have to do and it just yeah. leaves awkward so if you were to design the perfect performance review how would you structure it differently versus the way you've experienced it. How would that, if you had a magic wand, how would the new performance reviews go? So that is a big question and I am by no means an expert in this, but the way that I like to think about performance reviews is first of all, it goes back to coaching. So at mm. no point in time should that performance review at mid-year, at the end of the year, 
that should not be a surprise. The feedback that you get should not be a surprise. So if I were going to design a system, one, it comes back to that regular coaching and having ongoing conversations with employees so that when you get to the end of the year, hopefully that conversation is not as awkward because Dallas, if I'm your boss and we've had ongoing conversations throughout the year about here's what I'm seeing, here's what I'd love to see you work on, how Mm. can I help you work on those things, here's what you're doing well, how can we make more of that happen, then that performance review at the end of the year should be like, yeah, we're aligned and let's move out and get ready for the next year, right? Totally. And so I think that helps with the awkwardness. I think the other thing that's really important to think about, and I'm not sure about how to redesign this piece because there's this whole idea of don't do ratings, but as it comes to figuring out people's pay for their performance, there's gotta be something that's factored in. So I don't really have a great answer to that. But one of the things that I think about is how skewed the perception of the scoring has become. And so typically there's that Mm. one to five scale of one, you're really not doing so hot, five, you're exceeding all of the expectations and then some, and Mm -hmm. three is a meets expectations. Right. So one of the challenges I think we have is when we're going to school and I'm doing the job that I do, I'm a high performer, right? I'm going to push myself, so I better get all A's, right? So for me, when I think about performance reviews, really an A means that you did everything right but didn't necessarily go above and beyond. And a meets expectation or a score of a three is really the equivalent of an A. Wow. Now, I think that people listening need to just soak that up for a second because that is totally not what I would say the natural perception of our culture would be right now. What you just said makes total sense, and it is not being practiced or even seen that way, I think, in most organizations. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think and it's sometimes, and I think all of us, we want to be high performers. We want to do a great job. And there are years that we are going to do that. We're going to have the opportunity to have these big projects to really shine, really drive the organization forward. And we earn that five. And there are frankly going to be years where I am doing the job and I'm doing it well, but I'm not going at necessarily having an opportunity to go above and beyond what's expected of me. And mm-hmm. a three, like you said, people see a three as as being that's a bad thing and you forget about the twos and the ones, right? It's almost like the twos and the ones don't even exist because a three just means that I'm not doing well. Yes, that's yeah. so true. That's yeah. It's so interesting too because it really puts pressure, which it puts pressure on the individual to put almost like an interview. So what's one quality that's not good about you? I just work too hard. I stay too late at work, you know? <laughs> how do you know I take that I mean? strength? How do I take that? The thing that I do well, turn it into something that I'm not doing so well, but then really Ex- make it a strength again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so you sit there and you do that and you try to, and so you end up coming on with a performance review that may or may not be accurate because you're trying to get this five and the five is not even really in, in meant to be that sustainable every year. If you're yeah. doing your job and doing a good job at what you do, Three's great. Three is an A. Yeah. But I think that it goes back to leadership. I think that to get to that point, you've got to have a leader in HR and in the organization that's defining the terms. And I think that one thing that we're missing in performance reviews is setting those expectations, defining those terms. What is a three? A three is an A. You know, now would you, if you had your magic wand, we're still in magic wand territory right now, right? Unicorns and rainbows, magic wand, all that (laughs) stuff. If if, all the things. And so if you had the magic wand, would you separate, because I noticed you said that a lot of times it's with money, would you separate performance reviews from a raise? Um, I'll tell you my opinion too. 
You tell I, me yeah, yours. I'm, sure, I'm curious we'll, to we'll, hear your opinion. And so I think this thing, I'm just going to think out loud because the thing that I struggle with is we have to have some kind of information that says, here is why you're getting this raise or here's why yes. you're getting this bonus. There has to be something. But I think that as it relates to performance reviews, I don't know that necessarily has to be directly tied. And let's think about it this way, right? So as I think about performance reviews that I had, so I, I oversee a team. And as I think about the performance reviews that I had last year, I actually tried something different. So typically you get the sheet and you have all the information and you talk about these things. And while you're sitting there, your employee knows that you have this piece of paper, this email that says, here's what your pay raise is. Here's what your variable comp's going to be or whatever the case may be. So I'm going to sit here, Dallas, and tell you all of these things and give you all this feedback about the year. Are you listening to me? No, no. Cause you just want to know, right? You just want to yes. know what am I yes. getting paid? That's what 100%. I want to hear right now. Yeah. And so last year I actually did something completely different and we had the conversation about pay first. So I shared with my employees, here's the information, take some time to think about it, ask me questions, whatever, as it relates to that. And I had a separate conversation later about here's what I'm thinking about last year and how things went. And here's what we're thinking about for the next year. And I think there was something, and I don't know, I'd have to ask them, give them a call sometime, but I think that was just a very different experience. And I think we mm. were able to have a great conversation about their performance that since that pay part was out of the way. So I like. I think that. I might lean towards separating the two. Yes, I like that. I think that is fantastic, actually. And I love how you separated it, but it, linked, it was yeah. still linked. It was like yeah. you just you separated it in the conversation, got the pay out of the way with first, and then had the review. That sound means it's time to take a break and hear a word from our sponsor. If you lead an organization or a team, one of the biggest challenges you face is developing your people. Think Move Thrive is here to help you on your journey. We've developed a coaching system that integrates into your team or organization to consistently develop your employees, build trust, gain valuable feedback, and increase accountability. And leadership retreats and summits are great. We even build those custom for our clients, but they're only part of the solution because they lack consistency. Our one-on-one -on -one coaching app is the missing piece in your employee development program. We help new leaders get to know their teams, we help technical managers be more relational, and we help ensure that your relational rock stars stay organized. We developed the system for a client, and it was so successful. We created the app to help more organizations develop their people, build trust, engagement, and you guessed it, performance. For more information, go to thinkmovethrive.com to learn more about the one-on-one -on -one coaching system and start developing your team today. Back to the show. I think that's actually a really good approach. And I think that not every organization is the same. I think your idea is fantastic. I think you would put it at the front of it. I think yeah. if you can give clarity, then you, and you can do roles and communicate that well and coach ongoing, then you can have a shot at pulling it out. But I would say it is a lot of work and it took a lot of effort. So I think honestly, I like your approach. Yeah. If you were going to give leaders some advice, you're an expert in developing leaders whether that's for performance reviews or coaching and moving from that boss to coach, what advice would you give our listeners if they're moving into that leadership position, that role? The best piece of advice that I have ever gotten and will share with everyone and I continue to beat this drum is that the bottom line is that relationships matter. Mm. And mm. everything that we do as leaders, I believe, 
should be in support of our employees. And so there's, I think there's oftentimes this idea of, okay, I'm in a leadership position. When do I get my next one? And then what happens next? So one, relationships matter. And two, in order to get your next opportunity, it's critical to be really good at the job that you're doing now Mm. and take Mm. every opportunity as a learning opportunity because Mm. that's how you're going to be a great leader. That's awesome. That is great advice. That is great. Don't try to don't try to run too fast and out punt the coverage. Yeah. You got to stay, yeah. be great at where you are, and then you'll yeah. get the opportunity. Prepare. That's being great where you are is preparing you for the next opportunity. I Absolutely. love that. Absolutely, and keeping continuing that. to up your game. You can always do that. Well, that's great. Thank you for talking about talking about performance reviews. I've been wanting to have that conversation for a long time because I just I just had to get that controversial subject off my chest. So you help <laughs> you help do that. So thank happy, you. For that. Happy. And thank to you for your perspective. I just think it's yeah. so valuable. I want to talk a little bit about. As we come out of that, we've been talking about developing leaders and we've been talking about how we're going to engage them in performance reviews and ongoing coaching. But there's two topics that I think that are interesting. They come out of some of your background and something that you're passionate about. And that is the two ideas. And we can talk a little bit about each, but and I'll let you decide what you want to talk about first. But we've got this two topics that I want to cover is resiliency and empathy, because you're an expert in both of those areas. I know you'd worked with, in fact, you told a story on some of this before the show about working with some of the wounded soldiers, how they were an inspiration to you and you were working with them on resilience. So what's your thoughts on that? And as it relates to our work workplace? Yeah. So I think especially the experience we all had with COVID and everything that happened and, and I know we're how many years like coming out of this thing, but it is still relevant. Mm. I think I think yes. many of us are still working through adjusting the workplaces is still responding to some yes. of the changes that happened. And so I think resilience is absolutely critical for all employees and all people. And so resilience to me just hits very close to home because one of my favorite mentors that I've ever had, Dr. Karen Rivish out of the University of Pennsylvania, is really the person who mentored, coached me and helped me learn so much about resilience. And mm. When I had the opportunity to work with the Army, there was a soldier who I worked with. He was 19 years old. He was a triple amputee. He came from a legacy family of his grandfather was in the Army, and his dad was in the Army, and his brothers were in the Army, and he was going to be in the Army, right? Everyone for their career. Now, all of a sudden, 19 years old and has one working arm and is learning how to use prosthetics, right? But what was amazing to me about him was his ability to just take on whatever came his way. So he was the most optimistic person I think I've ever met. And just, yeah, you've got something you want to throw at me? I've got it. Not a problem whatsoever. And by the time that I was done working with him, it was really cool because they had worked with a program that the army has to get him a house built to meet his needs. He was heading to college and had a lot of aspirations. And I just think resilience is not just about these huge things that happen to us, but he is someone that when I think about resilience and I think about just your willingness and resilience really is a choice, right? Like I have a Mm. choice to bounce back and come back from this challenge that I experienced, Mm. or I have the ability to learn from this experience and continue to grow and thrive. Like we have a choice to make. And this guy just made such great choices to just continue Mm. living out what he wanted to do. So I just, 
I find those so inspirational. And I think that as we all have our experiences, that the bottom line to resilience, it really comes down to what are the connections and the relationships that we have? Because those Mm. people around us, that support system that we have through great times and through challenging times are really what's going to help us make it through anything. So that's a fascinating, I mean, it's an amazing story. I can't, it's hard for me to wrap my head around being 19 and, you know, having one arm. That's just horrific. And my heart goes out to the soldier in that. And what do you think, if you were to say advice you could give people, and obviously we're having episodes throughout our life and even week and day that we're having to bounce back from. So it's not resilience. I, I don't want people to miss how resilient we all have to be because we've shared an amazing example, but you don't get a promotion or yeah, I have a five-year-old and a three-year-old and it takes a lot of resilience to bounce back from the debates I have with my three-year-old in the morning about what he's going to wear. That really, you want to talk about something that isn't to go through that because people talk terrible twos. I will tell you, I love my child so much, but the three-year-old, the independent three-year-old he is and the debates yes. we have over what to wear, that can take a lot of energy some mornings and then uh. I have to let that go and then I have to focus on work right after i drop them off and even those things that we do day to day challenge Mm. our resilience they do challenge our resilience tell me about how do i grow if i'm someone that is experiencing some setbacks even if they're small setbacks how can i improve or grow my resilience what are some things that i can do to do that yeah so one of my one of my all-time favorite skills is called hunt the good stuff and some folks may you sound familiar right this is it's it seems relatively simple and easy but believe it or not especially when we're having tough times it's a lot more difficult than it can be so hunt the good stuff is relatively simple you just think about what are three good things that have happened over the course of the day and spend a little bit of time reflecting on that like why is this Mm. a good thing what does this mean to me how can i make more of this good stuff happen because Mm. especially in the midst of challenge we can get sucked into that negativity and just really be down and hard on ourselves that it's hard to pull us out but when we can find three good things be it big or small you know i got to drink a cup of coffee that i did not have to reheat this morning that is a good thing to me right i didn't have to reheat it 10 times before i got through my cup of coffee and it was still hot so that's a good thing for me today right it's those big things and those small things but that it can shift our energy it can change our perspective and it really can just help us overall I love that. It's this kind of the hunt, the good stuff. I've never heard anybody put it that way. I love that because it's memorable. And yeah, and yeah. having that attitude, it's like I've heard of the attitude of gratitude type thing. It's just yeah. a cliche, but I, I do feel like it's so important. And it's so important because our mental game is you go back to that and you said, we're. it's so easy to get in your own head and just yes. roll around and just get in the mud. It's just so easy. What are, how would you, as a mental performance expert and coach, how would you coach someone on helping that person? Let's say they said, I, I, I hear what you're saying. I want to hunt the good stuff. I want to, I want to, I want to find it. I'm going to take and reflect three times, but sometimes I just get in my head so much that I'm just cycle of negativity, like a negative loop. How do I break that cycle and get out so I can even take the time 
to you can have hunt the, the good energy stuff. to hunt the yeah. good stuff. Yeah. yeah. And so one of the things that, and I think about it, not necessarily just when we're stuck in this cycle of thinking negatively, but anytime we're feeling stuck. So think mm. about it like at work, if you're working on a project, you've been staring at like an Excel spreadsheet and you just, you know that there's a problem and you're trying to figure it out and you can't break it. Or if, you know, anyone's in school and you're studying something and you're reading a paragraph 10 times and it's still not sinking in. I think one of the best things that we can do is we can change our environment. So get up and mm. move. If I'm sitting at my computer, just get up and move, do something different and then come back because that space and that time and that physical movement can just make such a big difference to help clear our head. And that's one oh. of the, it's a simple thing we can do. Doesn't take a lot. You just have to be able to pay attention to when you're getting stuck in that muck and how mm. can you get out of it? How can I physically mm. get up and move? It makes all the difference. Comes back to awareness again. Comes 100%. back to that awareness. Always. Always. Always comes back to an awareness. That's awesome. I think that, I think that's a good word. So if you're listening out there, you need to take, you need to take that to heart. If you're going through something, you need to be more resilient. You need to go find and hunt the good stuff. And if you need to change the scenery to get out of your own head, go get up, take a walk, go get a cup of coffee or get a glass of water, do something, get up from the Excel spreadsheet. And I think that's great advice because I, I do think I do think it's a big struggle for people in their mental game. And I think that people lose a lot of joy and peace just just from not being able to get out of their own way, get out of their own heads and stuff. So I appreciate that sharing that wisdom to all our leaders and coaches out there. And hey, if you walk by somebody's office and see them, their ears are smoking and you're, they're on your team, <laughs> as a coach and a leader, tell them to get up and go and have the good stuff. Absolutely. Let's know? go take a walk. Yeah. Yeah. One of, one of my favorite things. Yeah. One of my favorite things is with a lot of my employees will do walking one-on-ones and it oh. just helps. It, it's because when you're having, regardless if things are going well or not, but just that movement, man, it just, it relaxes the conversation. It's much more free flowing and PS, it's really healthy to get up and move a little bit too. I and that's one that. of the things I love to do, especially when the weather's nice. It's supposed to be 105 in Kansas here soon. So going to avoid that, but yeah. Oh, ooh, 105. <laughs> that is hot. Oh my. Here's what I love about that. I think you just inspired me. So with our one-on-one -on -one coaching system in the app, we have three or four techniques that are really important. One of them is you can't do it at your desk. You yeah. you, That's your place of power. You yeah. can't do it at your desk and you don't want to have a relational conversation where you hire and fire people. It's just yeah. tense a little, just a little bit, just yeah. a little bit. So we're take the edge off. So I, I love it. I love walking one-on-one. -on -one. And so maybe we should have a challenge. And I'm just thinking right now, I'm thinking maybe we send this email blast out. Everybody that's using the system, and say, okay, for the month, we got to pick a, we got to pick a cooler month, maybe like in the fall, maybe October. Yeah. There you go. Where yeah. everybody, even in Kansas can go outside yes. and yes. enjoy the outside. And we'll have a, maybe we'll have a contest or something and say, you do a walk in one-on-one -on -one and send us a clip of it or post it on the uh, online and we'll send a prize out to some people. Maybe that's it. Cause it, we want to awesome. inspire walking yeah. coaching. I love that. Yes, nice absolutely. Change if you were up. to say one-on-one, -on -one, so when you talk about one-on-ones for your organization and for how you coach, what do you think are the elements that go into a successful one-on-one -on -one session if you were going to meet with somebody? Dallas, I know this is loaded. You, this is one of my favorite things. Oh, so that's awesome. It's, I feel very strongly about one-on-ones because it's another one of those things that I think you, you're told as a leader, have one-on-ones. One-on-ones are important, but nobody, rarely oh. do you get told, here's how to have a good one-on-one -on -one, or here's yes. what good looks like. And if you don't yes. know that, you're not going to do it well. And so for me, I think the critical components of one-on-ones are first, that the one-on-one -on -one is led by the employee. So mm. they bring to me 
what's going on with them and where they're headed is that and let's yes. think about why that is right it's very intentional one it allows them the opportunity to have the space to say whatever they did it is that they want to say or need to say yes two, yes it is such a great way to make sure that you're on the same page with your employee because yes. you want them to have their list and you have your list so you yes. can make sure hopefully the goal would be that by the time it's your turn you don't have much else that you have to say because you've already <laughs> talked and so they go first and then it's your opportunity and i I'm a big fan of like how we do time. And mm. so typically there's this belief and this might not be everywhere, but I've kind of seen this belief that a one-on-one -on -one has to be at least one hour and it doesn't. A one-on-one -on -one does gracious. not have to be an hour. No, so I, agree I with that. Yeah, so I allow folks to be in control. So it's my team's responsibility to set up those one-on-ones and schedule them. And yes. we talk about how frequently they want to meet. So a lot of times we'll meet for 30 minutes yes. once a week is how it goes. Yeah. And that's about the right amount of time. And the yeah. other thing that I think is important is just to be human and check in mm. on how things are going. You know, people can share whatever they want to share. You as a leader can share whatever you want to share. Some people are going to be willing to let you in more so than others. But it's important to recognize that we all have a life outside of work now that's my belief not everybody may agree with that but what happens uh, at home is going to affect work and what happens at work is going to affect percent. time to me I completely agree we're a, we're one human being we no matter how we try to hide it it's we're the same and obviously we have different circles but whatever you got going on at work you're going to be you're going to take on whatever you got home you can bring to work whether you try to hide it or not it's going to it's going to affect one affects the other and so yeah I could not agree more and it's so cool that you're so passionate about that because I've seen that I've had the same experiences that you've had and in, in, in terms of engaging with leaders that haven't been trained in it, that have misconceptions about what it is, that think it has to be an hour. Ours, we say, hey, it, you should run through this in about 20 minutes, which is funny because you're 30 and we haven't ever yeah. talked about this before. And But hey, look, if you get into something and it goes longer, go where you need to go. Do what you need to do because it's obviously going to be valuable. And it's just so many similarities. I love that. I love how you give them the flexibility to do that. And I love how you talk about how it's important for the team member to be the one that is sharing the information, not this directive from the coach or the leader. And that's exactly the way we've set this up. And I think it's so important because one of the things that we're trying to do as leaders, and when we talked about going from boss to coach, I don't know, boss to me, when I hear that word, when you put boss and trust in the same line, I don't really see them as synonymous, right? Yeah, I kind of yeah, like, oh, yeah. oh, oh, oh. but you say coach and trust. I'm like, yeah, that's the guy I'm following to the top of the hill. That's the guy yeah. that we're, he's taking me where I want to go. I absolutely, absolutely trust him. So when we listen to people and we let them share what's on their mind, we naturally increase our trust with that person. And so yeah. I just love how you set that up with, with your system. I love that. Talk about that as it relates to empathy and because I know you're very passionate about empathy and, and how that helps as it relates to developing empathy with your team members. Yeah, so I think empathy, empathy is something I actually had a great conversation about this earlier today about empathy versus sympathy. And they're two mm. very different mm. things, right? So mm. empathy is being willing to be in the moment with someone to hear what's going on with them. And you don't necessarily have to have experienced what they went through, but you're willing to say, I can tell you're not doing great right now. And I'm just going to be here with you in this moment and not be great. I'm not necessarily going to problem solve. 
I'm not going to jump into to trying to fix everything, which we have such a tendency to do. But empathy really is just about being there. And mm. I think what's great when employees can lead the one-on-ones is it gives them that ownership. It gives them, it just gives them that that ability to say, yes, I own this thing. Yes, I know my work. And yes, I'm willing to share whatever it is I need to share. And I mm. think through that, the experience that I've had with my team is just that we're so much more willing to share. If things aren't going well, and if you're struggling with something, then I will sit there, I will listen to you, I will be there and what you need me to be. But it takes a lot of patience, mm. a whole lot of patience. And I think as leaders, one of the one of the traps that we can fall into is, oh, you have a problem and I know how to solve this thing. I'm going <laughs> to prove to you my competence by solving this thing for you. And if we yes. jump in too soon, an employee's not going to listen to what you have to say anyway. And so that, yes. that power of just being willing to be there with the person and to listen to them can go a very long way. I think you set yourself up for success doing that. And you set the person up for success because they are having to work through it, but you're not working it out for them. Whereas the flip side, like you said, to prove competence, we're going to say we can do this and help the employee. Maybe we need to feel needed as a leader. We go in and try to solve it. But then all you're doing is training that employee. And then, okay, now whenever you have this issue, you come to me. And now all of a sudden after that, I'm, I turn into a bottleneck and I'm taking that ability for them to learn and grow away from them. Yes. And, and I'm putting it on me. So it just gets all upside down. And then I get stressed because I'm overworked and everybody's coming to me and I'm the bottleneck and this, and then I have to call Lindsay and be like, Lindsay, what do I do? <laughs> have patience and have empathy. Right. Have be, patience you know, and just, listen yeah. and have that empathy. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Thank you so much. This has been just the best conversation and you've just shared so much with our listeners. If you were to say some routines that in throughout your career of successful people and success, I don't mean necessarily like billionaires. I'm talking about success not defined by money but just success maybe is building trust and influence and and leading well level five leader what are some routines that you have seen in those types of leaders that they do consistently and pretty well yeah so i think one of the things that you hit on is the idea of consistency and i think mm. that any great performer any great leader any great athlete is consistent in how they operate. So that could be something as simple as you have a routine in a meeting and you know what's going to be expected. I think that when it comes to those routines, even from the time that we get up in the morning to the time that we go to bed, when we can have some consistency and we aren't making 10 different choices about what am I having for breakfast in the morning, that oh. helps us if we know what I'm having for breakfast in the morning. So for example, for me, this may seem silly, but for the week, I know exactly what I'm having for breakfast and my kids are having for breakfast in the morning because that saves me mental energy and the yes. number of decisions that have to be made even before you get started with work. I think some of the best performers yes. have consistency in that morning routine, already have some of those decisions made. So then they're saving that mental energy for later in the day. I think that is fantastic advice. I think that's fantastic advice. And we share that. We have that in common. I know exactly what I'm having for breakfast yep. every yep. day. Yeah, and, you don't have to think uh, about it. So you don't have to worry don't about, have it. To think about people, it. People think I'm silly, but anytime I go get a coffee with someone, I always get the exact same thing. You know exactly oh, yeah. what kind of coffee I'm going to get because guess oh, yeah. what? I'm not necessarily there to enjoy the coffee. I'm there to enjoy the conversation, and I don't want to oh, have yeah. to think about what I'm going to order. So call me boring, <laughs> but I'd rather not make that decision. I'm going to save that energy for whoever it is I'm meeting with. I think that's a great point, and I think that we 
are in an environment, especially today, that is information overload. Absolutely. I think that we have we are suffering from so much information that's coming at us, whether it's advertising on in, in terms of television or whether it's just our phones on social media. I mean, it's yes, just yes. we're it's just so many inundated, yes. and so anything that you can do to make fewer decisions, I think, is is make fewer better decisions is yes. a good approach. So I think I love that. My, my struggle right now is I love my morning routine like you. I feel good about that. I am I have got to get my night routine down because I've realized that my night routine dramatically impacts my morning routine. 100%. And I have terrible night routine. Yes. I'm a night owl by nature. Oh, so no. oh. it's a bad thing. It, yeah, yeah, so I am I'm ha I have to get up early, I have to be on point and my yeah. morning routine works for that and I'm a night owl by nature and so it is man, I'm struggling with that so yeah, that's what I'm working figure on now, my routines. routines. Yeah, Gotta those routines, they absolutely matter because even, you know, the time that you start going to bed, like your body's going to respond, right? That's one oh, of the yeah. things that we know in mental performance. Your body's going to respond to those routines that you do oh, over yeah. and over again. Yeah, so that's good so luck, true. I got <laughs> <laughs> yes, I need all the help I can get. So that's Awareness great. Well, is the first step. Awareness that, listen, I know I have a problem, right? I know I have a problem. I just got to, I got to do the work. So thank you for that encouragement for sure. Yeah, so now we always ask our guests on the last 10%, which is how we found out about you. And we asked our guests who they would like to hear on the show. If you had one person, it may be somebody you know, it may be somebody you don't know, but you just like to hear on the last 10%. Yeah. So who is someone that you would like to hear on the last 10%. Dallas, that's a big question. I feel like there's so many amazing people that are out there. So one person that comes to mind and maybe a little bit off the wall, I don't know, your judgment. So a guy that I know, Johnny Kane, he's a sports reporter in Detroit. And okay. he, so he, I've known him for years and he is one, incredibly smart two just has amazing energy and i think anybody that's around him just loves to be around him but three when i think about this idea of the last 10 percent and just the job that he does in talking mm. with athletes and seeing what's happening in games and the all of that i really think that he'd be an interesting person to pick his brain on some okay yeah johnny kane i like kane. that i like his name yeah. sounds oh, a cool yeah. name johnny oh, kane yeah. all right hey, that's awesome all right we're gonna have to get connected with johnny we'll see we'd love to have johnny on the show and that would be a very good uh, that'd be a very good episode and hey we can talk about communication with johnny too so because oh, sure. you've said today communication is so important so maybe we'll get johnny on to talk a little bit about there communication so yeah. thank you thank you again for being on the show Lindsay. this has been such a pleasure we have so many things that we could cover we didn't have time to cover today so we may have to have you back on the show again sometime because this has just been this has been fantastic yeah thanks so much for having me Dallas. it's been so much fun thanks for joining us today on the last 10 percent we hope you found today's content engaging and encouraging remember to subscribe to the podcast to hear the latest episodes and help us out by rating and reviewing us so others will join our community we release new episodes every other Tuesday. This podcast can be found globally in any podcasting app, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Amazon. Subscribe today. Plus, visit our website, join our email list, and discover resources and info for your business and team at thinkmovethrive.com. Thanks again for listening to The Last 10%.